This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning, ladies, and good evening, Tuesday evening, ladies, and then good early morning to you, 6 a.m., ladies. I still am just always impressed at your dedication to coming and being together and being with God at that time of the morning. Um, Thank you, Gail, for your prayers. I I have to tell you guys, it's just, it's amazing how God works, and this lesson shows nothing short of that, but um, Gail and I have just a special little history. We, when I was um, a youth in the church, they opened their home to our youth group once a week, and so we were in their basement once a week for I don't know how many years. (laughs) We did that, at least a couple, and years later, God brings us both to the same church, and it's just it's just so cool. So just one of the little ways that God's working. Um, thought that might kick off our lesson this morning. So I hope everyone had a great spring break. Um, it's always nice to come back. Um, the break is nice, but I look forward to seeing you all. So welcome back, and um, we're going to go forward with the courage to go. That was our lesson this week, and there was a lot. There was a lot that happened um, and so much that I thought would be awesome to cover. So we'll see how this goes. Um, when I started going through and just looking at the title, That Courage to Go, I just found myself kind of pondering in courage. What is that? What does it mean? What does it look like? Um, is there one form of courage? Do we all have the same kind of courage? It comes in different shapes and sizes. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. So with the first slide, I just have the simple definition. So courage is the strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So just that in and of itself, it kind of made me think, oh, if I have courage, then I'm going to be called to go and do these things. And that is scary in and of itself. But God gives us the courage to go, and he gives us lots of ways that we can do that. There's several different forms of it. So on the next slide, there's physical courage. And so I've got the definitions up there for you guys. So physical courage is just bravery at the risk of bodily harm or death. Pretty straightforward, but pretty scary to think about. Social courage, bravery at the risk of embarrassment, exclusion, or rejection. This one, I think immediately of our youth. I think of myself when I was younger. And I was never that cool kid. My best friend was the cool kid. She, like, had it dialed in. And so I rode on her kind of coattails. And um, being younger, I wasn't one that was going to necessarily step out and um, was very fearful of any kind of embarrassment or for sure for being rejected. And I know that our youth today, that is something they face on a daily basis. And I'm imagining, and I hear from my students as well as the students here at the church, they wake up and it's almost the first thing on their mind is once I get out of my house, the safety of my house, I'm stepping into that realm of the, all these things possibly happening. Intellectual courage, um, this one I love. Um, the willingness to engage and challenge, engage with challenging ideas, to question our thinking, 
being a teacher, I loved to learn. That's probably how I got on the track of teaching. Um, love gaining knowledge, love being challenged in what do I think and why do I think what I do. And so that one I've never been weary of shying away from. We're all here, Tuesday night ladies, Thursday morning ladies, we're here. You're obviously willing to have that intellectual courage um, to grow deeper in our faith, to learn more about God, to challenge what we know about him and to hear and grow deeper with him. Moral courage, doing the right thing, speaking truth at the risk of approval or disapproval, opposition or disapproval from others. So this falls in that whole integrity. Are you gonna do the right thing even if nobody's looking? The willingness to speak out for what is right um, at the risk of opposition and people not accepting what you have to say. I think in our day and age, this is extremely tricky right now with the political realm that we live in, with all of the social topics that come up. Um, we often have a different take and a different perspective on some of those things, and it's hard to know when to speak into those and when not to. Emotional courage, opening ourselves to feeling the full spectrum of emotions, so both positive and negative. Opening ourselves up to one another, um, to someone that we're choosing to love, spend our life with. We're also taking the risk of being hurt. Even in a friendship, as much as we try not to hurt one another, it happens. We're human and we're broken, and so we're, in, we're willing to take that emotional courage. We're also opening ourselves up to disappointment and hurt, and so it takes courage to keep sustaining those relationships and working through the difficult times. The last one is spiritual courage, to trust what we cannot see. Walk by faith, not by sight. Having faith in what we know to be true, even though we cannot see. And this leads right into our lesson this week. This is right where the Israelites are at. They're having to walk by faith, not by sight, because what they're seeing could cause them to not trust in what they know to be true of God and his promises. So just real quickly, when I think about all those types of courage, I can quickly identify the ones that I'm that I kind of excel at and that come easy for me. Um, I mentioned the intellectual courage, that's okay for me. Being older now, the social and moral and emotional ones um, aren't out of my comfort zone. That, that doesn't, I don't feel like I have to take a leap of faith to um, show those kinds of courage. The physical courage has, always been easy for me and our study brought up mountain climbers and so I immediately attached to this. Um, my husband and I have done a little bit of this in recent years so I've got a slide. While we haven't climbed something like Mount Everest, we have tackled Mount St. Helens and um, on the next slide I've got a couple of maps. So when you are standing, like our author talked about, when you're standing at the bottom of the mountain, and St. Helens is an interesting one because A, it is an active volcano, so there's a certain amount of risk that you're already taking. But when you're standing at the bottom of that mountain and you're looking up at it, it you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing? What am I possibly thinking? And it's a straight shot up. There, you have no choice. You're going straight up. 
And so you have to tell yourself, okay, I've prepared, we've looked at the map, we know where we're headed, I've trained, we have food, we know when we're gonna stop and rest, and then you find yourself with that courage to take those steps to go up. Go ahead and go to the next one, Alex. So you can kind of see Helen's is a fun one. It's my favorite one, actually, because you've got different, you've got a forest that you go through, and then there's big boulders that you actually have to, like, climb. And so being five foot four, <laughs> when we get past that point, I just feel like, I don't know, it's just this great um, feeling of having pushed your body and been able to do something that, you know, technically your legs can't even reach from boulder to boulder sometimes. So it gets a little tricky. And then the top part is what's called scree. So it's these tiny little rocks and it's two steps up and one step back. You literally, you're stepping up and you're sliding back even as you're doing so. And so being at the end of the hike, you're, um, my husband calls me a workhorse, like I'm just ready to get it done. I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing. Others will go and then rest and then keep going. And so he was talking to me about he, with each time he stopped and rested, he had to then find the courage to take the next step up, knowing he was going to slide right back down. So um, we kind of come at it very different ways. So that was interesting for me to hear from him. On the next one, we did South Sister. And um, both of these are, South Sister's a little bit longer than St. Helens um, and a little bit more of an elevation game. And you literally start, you can see at the bottom, you start at the bottom at a lake, you have to cross the highway, and then again, it's forest. And then there's this fun little plateau, it's about a mile of just walking, and it's flat, but you're staring up, go ahead and go to the next one. What's deceiving is on that plateau in the upper left corner picture, you're staring at the mountain. <laughs> so for a mile, after having just gone through a very steep forest, you're now looking at what you're about to tackle. And so you have that time just to contemplate, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Can I really do this? Like, you know, could go back to Bend, have some food, <laughs> be okay. I did the forest, that was a couple miles, I'm all good. But again, that, that memory of, but I've planned and I've prepared and I've trained and I can do this. But that fear of failure is still kind of hanging out there. On the lower picture, that's getting close to the top part of the scree again. And so it's a red rock, so it's a different kind of scree, but it's that same little rock. There's no trail, you're straight up. And um, so again, it's just, it's that perseverance of having to just keep going. So I don't tell you all this just to brag. It was a way for me to relate. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people that have done these hikes, probably faster and better than we did it. But it was a way for me to think about, okay, I fell on the knowledge that I had going into these hikes. The knowledge I had that I would be safe, that people do it all the time. I prepared, we have food, we have water, we've planned. And so it gave us the courage to take those steps to go ahead and go after this goal that we had set. And so that just comes into play when I think about, I go back to the different types of courage, and when I look at the list, it's the spiritual courage that I still fail at every single day, and sometimes in big ways. And so having that attachment of something that was physical for me and that I could look at logically just gave me a doorway 
I guess, to look at, okay, how can I use this and grow with my spiritual courage? Our stories today lend, lends itself to that. This week we read through Joshua chapters 3 through 5, all the way up to um, verse 12 in chapter 5. It covers the crossing of the Jordan, the building of the memorial, circumcision. I was so happy I got that one. And then <laughs> Passover. <laughs> so we'll start out... Um, all of these events and all of these things that we read through this week and that we'll talk about this morning, it reveals just an abundance of courage, an abundance of courage from Joshua, the priests, and the people themselves. At the very beginning, so Joshua 3, just starting at, this, at the start, um, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from, do you remember Patsy saying the city? <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> I got a little cocky when I, we first assigned all the teaching. I was like, oh, Patsy got that one. Ha ha. And then when I started preparing, I realized if we ended there, we have to start there. So I was thankful for her little designation of calling it the city. So <laughs> I owe her for that one. <laughs> Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out from the city and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing. The very first words of verse 2, after three days, and I'm going to just stop there. So imagine what the people were thinking as they camped, and they were camping right on the Jordan. They had time to stare out at the Jordan, to look at it. Joshua 3.15 tells us, they are seeing the river at flood stage with water overflowing the banks, the fast-flowing waters raging, making... So these waters are raging, and they're making it very clear. This isn't just some tiny little brook. This isn't a little creek that they're going to go across. It's a full-on river. It's at flood stage. It's over the banks. When I researched a little bit, and the Jordan is normally at, um, it's about 100 feet wide. At it's low at most of the year. At this time of harvest, when they were there, it was 100 feet wide. Well, it was about a mile wide. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. So it was about a mile wide. And so I was like, okay, what does that look like? I've run a mile. I kind of know what that's like. I've done hikes that are miles long. But to put it in context of a river, the average width, so Alex, you can pull the next slide up. The average width of our Columbia River is a mile wide. So it's not as wide as it is at the mouth where the Columbia meets the ocean but an average width in our gorge is about a mile wide. So that kind of gave me a little bit of context to think about. And the picture I found <laughs> after I thought about it, it's very calm, which the Columbia isn't always, but I've driven through there a ton. And on those days, it's amazing. It's a sheet of glass. It's reflecting the beautiful surroundings of the gorge. But the river, the Jordan at this time, it was not calm. It was flowing over. The waters were flowing, moving very rapidly. So if you've ever been whitewater rafting, kind of picture that. You get in at a calm spot, and then as the rapids going, you realize the full force and the power of that river. Not only was it a mile wide, but it was 10 to 12 feet deep is what, they, is what the evidence kind of showed. And so, again, I'm thinking at five foot four, I'm a pretty good swimmer, have done the whitewater rafting thing, have fell in the river, but you know what? a river 10 feet deep, 
That sounds a little bit daunting. So when we think about that they had that time to sit and contemplate, what were their thoughts looking out at that river, going to that river, and taking care of kind of their daily needs and things, and then knowing that God was asking them to cross it? As I went through each of the events that we're going to go through, I found a pattern. There's a period of waiting, there's a period of preparing, and then there's a period of action, of doing. So with them being at the crossing, God purposely chose to bring his people to the Jordan at this time where the river was overflowing. Our study talked about the time of waiting that they had, those three days, as a time to stew. That resonated. <laughs> Not good in that time to stew. Um, I'd rather be preparing or doing. The waiting is hard. They had time to think about what had happened in the past, all the decisions and the choices they made that got them to where they were at that moment. They also had time to think about what lay ahead, that crossing. They had time to imagine what that was going to be like, what God was going to do. So God's purpose in the waiting, it could be a lot of different things. Our author suggested it was a time for God to impress upon them the magnitude of what was about to happen, for them to really consider what he was going to do. Time for them to understand that they had to rely on him because it was a task that only he could accomplish. So again, that time of waiting, I suck at it, ladies. I'm, I just truly am horrible with it. I logically, I know, I know God has a purpose in the waiting. I say I can trust him. I know that I learn from those times, that I grow in reliance on him. But every time he gives me that opportunity, it's still hard. I want to take over the wheel and I want to drive. I don't want to stay as a passenger. But I have to remind myself, and it almost sometimes becomes a mantra, while I'm waiting, God is working. While I'm waiting, he is aligning things to be where they're supposed to be, for people's hearts to open, for other things to occur and fall into place so that the thing he has planned for me can happen in its due time. I'm constantly striving to look for the signs that he is working, and they're there. If, when I attune my eyes to him, I see the little things that he's doing, and I see things are falling into place. So I just constantly pray just to rest in his promises. I'm not there yet, but I also remember that I'm a work in progress in God's eyes, and he's okay with that. For the Israelites, there were no life jackets, no boats, no paddles, and it wasn't just a few people crossing. We knew it was 40,000 soldiers. We knew it was all the rest of the tribes, the men, women, children, livestock, baggage, um, all of their supplies. So again, they couldn't rely on their physical courage. They couldn't trust their emotions of fear and anxiety. They, would, they had the stories of their ancestors who had 
seen God part the Red Sea, but that generation had perished. And so they knew the stories, but they didn't have, other than Joshua and Caleb, that was the knowledge they had, was just that story. So they, they had to rely on God's assurance that he would protect them, keep them safe. They had time to contemplate his promises, and then they had time to prepare. Their preparation came in the form of uh, consecration. So in Joshua 3, 5, God instructed the Israelites to consecrate themselves. It involved bathing, changing their clothes, and the married couples just devoted themselves wholly to God. While these were outward actions, it was a way for the outward actions to attune their hearts to him and to get their focus back on him. When it came time to cross, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were led, led, led the way. The ark was a guarantee of God's presence. It was to be the Israelites' focus, their focal point as they crossed. God instructed them to keep their eyes on it, on the ark, or him, which is what it represented, not on the river. So there's a lesson for us, too. Not to look at the things that are going on, but to look at him. What is he doing? What is he saying? How is he helping us? What is he saying to help us calm our hearts and our fears in those times when he's calling us to act? The Ark of the Covenant, they had the Ark to fix their eyes on. We have his word. We have his Holy Spirit. So, Alex, go ahead and bring up the map real quick. And I put one on each of the tables just so you guys could look at. But I love... I'm really visual, so I loved being able to see if you look down where the red lines are and or up on, oh, it's not on the one that's up. So the city, you can see just above the Dead Sea, if you follow it up, is there, and that they crossed the Jordan there at, over to Gilgal, which was just outside of Jericho. You can see, I marked on your guys' maps, just north of there, and the our word told us it was about 20 miles north was the city of Adam. And so I put that in on the maps just so you can kind of see where we're at. So they traveled from the city, stayed at the Jordan for three days, and then they crossed over into Gilgal. If we go to Joshua 3, verse 15, it finishes up the crossing. The Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great distance, in a heap, a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, where the water flowing down to the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who asked the ark of the, the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Joshua had showed great courage in leading the people, in leading his people, and it was him acting on his faith by, and what he did in his leadership was very cool. He didn't use his words, he didn't draw attention to himself, he directed the people to God. 
He said in verse 9, he says, Come here and listen to the words of your Lord. He pointed the people to God, not himself. The priests showed great courage by acting on their faith and bringing the first to go in the river. I can't even imagine having that river flowing and you being the one that have to step in. But they had faith in Joshua. They could see his faith in God. They were willing to then take that step of courage and show their faith to the people. God rewarded that courage by immediately stopping the water flow. As soon as their feet touched the water's edge is how scripture put it. And I just think that's beautiful. God meets us when he asks us to step forward, to move, to go with courage. He rewards us and he meets us right there. The people acted on their faith by seeing the ark go. They broke camp and they followed their leaders. Moving on to chapter 4, it continues on with the crossing. It tells us about the 12 men that were chosen from each tribe and what they were assigned to do. So the men were chosen. They had to wait for the ark to start moving. They then had to follow, and then they had to wait for their instructions. The planning was, came in the choosing of those 12. There had to be some thought and action put into that. In verse 3, Lord finally says to Joshua, have the, men, have the 12 men take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at a place where you stay tonight. Verse 5 gives us added information that the 12 men were to take up a stone on their shoulder. These weren't little stones and rocks. These were a big enough stone that they had to pick them up and carry them on their shoulder. The 12 stones were later to be used to build a memorial at Gilgal. So verse 21 goes on to tell us, When your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The memorial created the opportunity for God's glory to be shared with future generations, for them to remember. And this is a part of our makeup. Our, our lesson this week just talked about how humans, we remember, we take pictures, we make memorials things to remember what happened, to remind us not to make the same mistakes over and again, and to also remind us to step out and continue our faith. It reminds us of the good things that God has done for us. Chapter 5 goes on to tell us about the circumcision of the people. We were reminded that the people that were wandering in the desert they hadn't been circumcised in that time. So in order for the covenant to be brought whole again and for the people to be brought back with God in the full way with the covenant, they, he asked them to do this. What's amazing to me, other than just the circumcision of all the men and boys at that time, just leave it at that, um, there had to be planning and preparations and how were they going to care for them? How was it going to take place? How could it go as smooth as possible? This was not going to be an easy thing for them at this time. And the other thing that I got to thinking about is the people, 
they were all at great risk during this time. It took days for the men to heal. During those days, they were completely vulnerable to any of the surrounding nations. So here they've crossed over, God's brought them safely across, and now they have to trust again and continue to show that faith in him that he will keep them safe in this time that they are absolutely at their most vulnerable. So when I got to thinking about that, I thought, where does that courage come from? I'm always looking for some logic to tie to it, and that's, again, my failure in, in knowing I need to have the courage, but finding it. And I got to thinking about if there were spies that knew that the Israelites had sent spies into Jericho, if you think back to the story of Rahab, there were certainly spies from the governing nations in Canaan that were watching the crossing of the Jordan take place. They saw it, they saw what happened. And if you remember Rahab's words, their hearts melted in fear. So now those spies, having seen the Israelites be brought across that river from their God, you can imagine they went back and reported that. I don't know about you, but if I'm fearful of someone, I'm certainly not gonna go attack them. <laughs> if they come and attack me, I would hope that I would have the courage to defend, but I'm certainly not gonna go out and attack them. So again, God's providence of people, the spies and them seeing what had happened, seeing the crossing, going back and reporting, it kept the Israelites' enemies at bay and it kept them away and that was part of God's protection. So I just thought, again, it's when I look even for the tangible, logical things, I can see how God arranges those and provides that protection. So having now restored the covenant, Israel was able to celebrate the Passover, and I can't imagine what a celebration this was. There had to be planning, again, involved in just orchestrating the meal and all that went into a Passover dinner, which we've learned a lot about in the last few weeks um, here at, at church. So that Passover was that culminating action. So they had to wait for the men to heal. There were preparations being made, and then the action of actually getting to celebrate Passover. So go ahead and go to the last slide, Alex. So our study had a great quote at the end. And our author said, courage is not just a quality of spirit that we feel inside or a determination of our mind, but it's the catalyst that moves us to be obedient to God's calling in our life, even in the face of the impossible. What river are you being asked to cross? What mountain? Are you being asked to climb, even though the view tells you it's impossible? What's amazing to me each and every day is the realization that we have a God and he specializes in that impossible. Nothing's impossible for him. So where are you at with your river or your mountain? Is God asking you to wait? Are there preparations he's asking you to make? Either actual, literal preparations or preparation of your heart. Is it a time that he's wanting you to rest and to be in his word, to sit with him, to be still with him? 
to hear what he wants to say and how he wants to prepare you in your heart? Or is God asking you to act? Is he asking you to get your feet wet and walk by faith? I had an opportunity recently to wait and to rest in the waiting. And it was for something simple. It's just for a home. We were looking for a home to buy. And three offers later, still no home. And so months, you're looking, you're, try, you're wanting to prepare, you're wanting to act, and he just kept saying, nope, not this one. Through most of the journey, I was able to find that rest, find that peace. I could see, again, I could see those little tangible ways that it was like, oh, that's why not that one. But it led us to look in a different way for a different kind of home. And same thing with each one. So then recently, we found one that we thought, hmm, this feels like maybe. So with circumstances, to make a long story short, put in an offer, but there was a long waiting that happened. Agents, sellers were out of town, all kinds of different things, and so it was just waiting. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing anyone could do. It was just to wait. And I didn't do it well. <laughs> I failed completely. I wanted to text. I wanted to call. I wanted to, do I keep looking? And I was looking for an action. And there wasn't one to take. What was awesome in my failure, I saw my husband's faith grow. And I saw him relying on God. And I saw him resting in the peace that we had done what we could do. And I know there's some of you that I know the blessing I have in having a husband that shares my faith and getting his faith and his resting in God and trusting in that if it works out, it's meant to be, that brought me closer to Christ. And so ever grateful for, even in my failure, I got to see him walk in his faith and trust. And so even... It was, I guess, it was reassuring to know that even though I failed, God did the impossible because I didn't think it was going to work. But he did it, and he meant it to be, and I got to see my husband's faith just grow and shine, and that is a treasure that I could never have imagined. So remember that while we're waiting, God is working. While he is working, he is working for things that will be even more than we can imagine. So... Do as the Israelites did. They stopped looking backwards. They kept their eyes focused on God. And so I just pray that we can do the same. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these stories, for Joshua, for his faith, for the priest's faith, their willingness to have courage to walk and to do as you ask them to do. I thank you that we have these stories for us to see how mighty you are, how powerful, to see how you can do the impossible. For things that are big, for things that are small, you know what matters to us and to our hearts. I pray for all the women here this morning, there on Tuesday night, there on Thursday morning. These women are facing 
much harder difficulties than finding a house, and I recognize that wholeheartedly. They're facing health issues for themselves, for family. They're facing kids who are fa dealing with anxiety. There's depression. There's financial difficulties, jobs. There's so much in this world that every day as we open our eyes, you're asking us to have the courage to trust you and to walk by faith. I just pray that you give us that spiritual courage to do exactly that, to look for you, to keep our eyes focused on you, to have the courage to wait, to have the courage to prepare, and to have the courage to step out and take those steps into the water. I pray for the small group time, open hearts, willingness to share, and all of it focused on you and how we can grow closer to you and closer to one another through that faith. I thank you for everyone here, for those that couldn't be with us, and I just lift up this whole morning and evening to you. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Kimberly's going to come up just for a second. Thank you, Michelle. That was really beautiful. Just a quick reminder, we're going to move the Timothy student sponsorship tables out towards the east exit, and Gail will be here all morning, so if you want to look at them between now and small group time or after small group time, she's available. So thank you, Gail.